welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Suzanne, welcome to the show. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing quite well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well as well. I'm just enjoying some nice fall weather. Yes, me too. Excellent. So I'd like to start by asking how you describe yourself and what you do. Um, Well, like most people, I would describe myself through the work that I do. So I'm a writer and also a writing professor at Appalachian State university in boone north carolina i'm 36 and i am the mother to three really ornery pets (laughs) (laughs) excellent so okay so writing and a professor i guess let's let's unpack one of those okay what made you want to become a writer I mean, from, I think, the age of five, I just really loved stories and making up stories, and I would make them up and tell them to my mom and dad, and then as soon as I was able to actually physically handwrite things, I started writing them down, and I, you know, some of my, strangely, some of my stories when I was a kid were really dark, and I don't know if that worried my parents or not, but but I just, I kept it up, and it was something that has always sort of defined me and something I've always come back to, even if there have been periods when I haven't been writing, I always mm-hmm. come back to it. So, mm-hmm. Excellent. So in the, your say, early writing days, were there a particular styles that you were drawn to or particular writers that had the most influence in your early days? Well, of course, I was also an early reader. Most writers read all the time, too. Mm-hmm. And so my mom had kind of a treasure trove of Stephen King books. And I was like, you know, six or seven, kind of breaking into that and reading his work. And um, then, you know, the typical kind of things that adolescents read. But I remember that the first time I read a chapter book, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, oh, it's a it's a complete story, but it just goes from one chapter to the next. And that blew my mind, you know. So um I was just always amazed by writers and readers. And then, you know, as I got older, I got really into writing short fiction and short stories for a long time. And then kind of got into poetry a little bit. And then I found the genre of flash fiction, which became my favorite and kind of what I became known for. So, but that only happened within the past few few years. So, oh, sure. That's kind of a newer thing. But yeah, could you tell me a little bit more about what flash fiction is? Yeah, it kind of depends on whatever the journal you submit to defines it as. But most mm-hmm. of the time, it's uh, creative fiction or nonfiction that's under 500 words. Some ask for under 250 words, and then some are under 1,000 words, but very, very short. So you have to tell a very quick story and make it meaningful. And actually, I think what kind of made that my favorite genre was that um, – I liked fiction and poetry, and I couldn't decide. Everyone would always ask, what do you do? So, well, I kind of do all the things, and then I found flash fiction, which combined the two perfectly. So that was good. Oh, sure. All right. So let's talk about your, your college days then. So I 
I did a little bit digging and I found out that you have a PhD in Victorian literature, uh, <laughs> yes, which is very true. interesting. So, so what made you want to, well, what did you study in undergrad and then what made you want to specifically study Victorian literature? Okay. So in undergrad, I actually got a degree in creative writing. Um, and then I knew, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I took a year off and thought about it and, I actually applied to law school and thought that I was going to become an attorney. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was about two weeks before I had gotten into a school where I wanted to go and I was supposed to move there in two weeks. And I just had this complete panic and just knew in my heart I wasn't supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I called the school, told them to give my spot to someone else and then made frantic phone calls to my alma mater, which is Marshall University in West Virginia, mm -hmm. and begged them to let me apply late and come back to their MA program in English. And they pulled a few strings. I was able to go back. I think that uh, both my parents were a little upset with me because they wanted me to be an attorney. They were like, oh, our daughter is going to be an attorney. And then I just just knew that I couldn't do it. It wasn't for me. Um, and, you know, I think that was good, though, because then someone who really wanted to get in got my spot, you know, and I wasn't there just kind of wasting my time. So I went back and got an M.A. in I think my M.A. was in um, contemporary American lit. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Auburn for my Ph.D. and had a class in Victorian lit and just really, really enjoyed the teacher. Um, it wasn't just still wasn't really sure. I, I'm one of those people. I just I liked everything, you know, so somehow I ended up picking the. Uh, the degree that required me to read the longest novels ever written. <laughs> and yeah, and so it was a challenge. It was quite a challenge. Um, but I'm not sure why I didn't go into creative writing for a PhD, but I think it was because I enjoyed it so much and I didn't mm -hmm. want to kind of taint my enjoyment of, of writing with the, the fact that I had to do it. So Sure. So, you know, oftentimes so getting a PhD in, in something like literature pretty much means that you need to become a professor. Was yes. that something then you made? Did you make that decision along the way or was that something you decided after your PhD? Yeah, so my dad's a teacher and I love my father dearly, but I grew up saying I will never be a teacher because I would see <laughs> the things that he would go through. But I just sort of had this knack for it. And so I explored that in grad school, and of course, I became a TA and got to, you know, try teaching out, and I just fell in love with it. And then I got the job here at App, um, and it's non-tenure track, so I'm not required to publish academic writing, mm -hmm. which was perfect for me. Most people are kind of like, "Why didn't you want tenure?" I'm like, "But I didn't want that pressure of academic writing. I wanted to do creative writing, but still teach." Mm -hmm. So it actually worked out perfectly for me. So I teach. Right now I'm teaching freshman English and I love freshmen. I think they're great, but I also teach lit classes and um, sophomore writing. So I'm kind of a generalist in that way. I can teach pretty much anything that that they need me for. So it works out well. Oh, excellent. So uh, in 2000 and, uh, 2016, you wrote a book called A Mad Girl's Love Song. Yes, that's true. Yes. So what is that book about and what made you want to write that? That book is purely fiction, and I had always wanted to write a you know like purely fictional book, and so I just kind of kind of went for it. Um, it was one of those books though. I liked it when I was writing it, and, but this happens all the time. And then as soon as I was done with it, I thought, oh, it's awful, it's mm -hmm. terrible. Um, and I published, I self-published that book, and so you know my friends read it, my family read it. 
and that was pretty much it. So it, it didn't go very far, but but I was still proud of it. I'd always wanted to write a book, so that was not kind of my first big thing that I tried to do. Sure. So okay, so you said you self-published this one uh, in 2016. What does so what did that mean in 2016, and how did you or why did you decide to self-publish it, and what did you do to self-publish it? So, of course, you know, I had kind of tried to shop around for an agent and go the traditional route of most writers. Um, and I had agents interested, but it just never got to that next step. And I got kind of impatient with it and kind of with that book wasn't willing to play the long game of just waiting and retrying. Because, you know, I probably sent out at least 100 query letters to to agents, you know, seeing if they would be interested. And some were, but it just, like I said, never got past like reading the full manuscript stage or they'd read the full manuscript and say, well, it's just not really for us. And at the time I, I didn't know much about self-publishing, but it really interested me because I wanted to be a part of the process of, you know, picking out the color, the cover and doing everything I wanted to do the way I wanted to do it. So mm-hmm. it actually turned out well, but it was difficult. I'll say, you know, it's nice if you want to publish something, but you can't kind of can't get any bites from any editors or publishers, but it's a lot of work for sure. Oh, sure. Okay. And then so so you have a new book that uh, is coming out. So we're yes. recording this before it's released, but this podcast will be released after it's out. Um, so it's going to come, it's going to be live on October 15th called Frontal Matter, Glue Gone Wild. That's correct. Yes. So... Uh, there's an there's a very interesting story behind this. So could you please tell the listeners a little bit about what the what your story is about and what made you want to write this book? Yeah, of course. So you know it's funny you mentioned a Mad Girl's love song because after that I kind of thought to myself like I don't really know of novel writings for me. I prefer the shorter fiction and I started getting into flash fiction and I just had this past year um, I had a stellar year. I got a lot of publications with flash fiction and I was really happy with that. And I had no plans to write anything longer. I was happy with submitting flash fiction, getting that published. And, you know, it's so short that people can read it easily and, you know, um, and then I'd be ready to write the next one and I get bored easily. So, you know, that was working out well for me. Um, then the day, or I guess it was three days after my 36th birthday, I went into a coffee shop. I was meeting a friend. It was December 18th, and we were having coffee, and all of a sudden, my legs started to shake. I thought it was a Charlie horse, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And my friend is an EMT, and so she lifted me up off the stools we were sitting on because mm-hmm. it would be dangerous for me to be you know, on a stool yeah. with my leg doing this crazy thing, and she put me on the floor. And then, like, the, I could actually see this, it was a seizure, and I could see it moving up my leg and my arm, but my mind was never affected. So yeah. I knew what was happening, I knew what was going on, um, but then I was paralyzed on my right side. And I thought, oh, this is, <laughs> this is not good, this is really bad. Um, mm-hmm. But I've had type 1 diabetes for 31 years, and I just immediately thought it was something to do with that, you know, because with diabetes, having it so long, a lot of stuff can happen. Um, but my friend rushed me to the ER, and they did a CT scan, and they came back within 20 minutes and said, you have a mass on your brain. And this was the most shocking thing, you know, that I'd ever heard, of course. Um, I had no other symptoms. I had a little bit of numbness and tingling in my foot a few days before. But again, I thought it was diabetes related, so I didn't really do much about it. Um, 
And then, you know, then my entire world changed. Everything just kind of went crazy. Um, they, so Boone, where I live, is a little bit rural, so they didn't have the medical equipment needed to do a craniotomy. And so I was transferred to Winston-Salem um, at Wake Forest Baptist Health. And they said, you're going to have to have brain surgery. And I, I mean, I'm in shock, just complete shock the whole time. And like I said, I had no headaches. They kept asking me, you know, is your vision blurry? No, nothing like that. And so I guess it was three days before Christmas, I had brain surgery and they took out a tumor and I kind of thought that was the end of it. But keep in mind, I still I couldn't move my right side at all. And my right hand came back a little bit, but I, I couldn't walk anymore. So before that, I was playing roller derby and I was very active. I was in the gym six days a week and then suddenly I'm 36 and I can't walk. So it's very shocking. Mm -hmm. And um, so then, you know, it was Christmas. I spent Christmas in the hospital and they kept saying, well, we'll let you know if it's cancer or not. And in my mind, I was just sure it wasn't cancer. So I just knew I was fine. You know, I didn't have anything to worry about. I was so healthy. Um, and then at the beginning of January, when I was learning to walk again, uh, the doctor came back and said that I had glioblastoma, which is the most cancerous and most deadly form of brain cancer. So another shock. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm still in shock, to be honest. Um, but as soon as I found out about all of this stuff, I thought I have to write this down. You know, this is insane. I have to choose to put my story out there. And at that point, I didn't care if anyone read it. I was like, for me, I just have to write this down. Um, mm -hmm. But I still couldn't write. And so some of the weird things that happened to me after brain surgery was that everything was backward when I woke up. So my left hand, I thought was my right hand, like everything had switched. And I tried to write my letters and everything was backward. The letters were correct, but it was backward. And I was like, Oh, I have some work to do. You know, this is going to be tough. But mm -hmm. I had a lot of therapists who worked with me. And so in the beginning, I just dictated the book to my phone through my voice because I couldn't type yet. And so um, through a lot of hard work, though, and just really pushing forward, I ended up, you know, I, I'm able to walk again and I can write again. And so then once I was able to kind of get my motor skills back to where they needed to be, I started typing out the book. Oh, wow. That's so that's quite an amazing story. <laughs> yes, it's crazy. Uh, yeah. So, could you tell me a little bit more where the so the title itself? I mean, I, I get the the frontal metal part, but where does the the glue gone wild? Ah, uh, that was my from? mom's question. Yes. Um. So, like I said, the name of my cancer is glioblastoma, and glio G L I O means glue. So, mm -hmm. what happened was, you know, those cancer cells started growing and dividing. And in my head, I was just hearing glue gone wild. It's just like gone crazy, you know? So that's where, that's where the subtitle comes from. And then of course the tumor was in the frontal lobe of my brain. So yeah. Yep. Excellent. Okay. So would you mind going in a little bit of then in depth about y your book? So is it, so it, it is really the, you know, the first hand account of of this entire experience, is yes. that correct? Yeah, yeah. So where, I gave where you the short it, version. But. Okay, where, where does it start? Like, does it start right when you're in the doctor's office? Does it start like right when that incident happened or before that? Yeah, it then? starts in the coffee shop where okay. I first had the seizure, yep. Okay, and then goes to there. So could you describe, I guess, kind of what was it like the moment the doctor told you you had cancer? Well, I... 
I was convinced I didn't have cancer, you know, and in my brain, I've always been a very intuitive person. I think most writers would consider themselves intuitive. And so I just convinced myself that it was not like he was even speaking and I was still convinced that I didn't have cancer. And my mom, my mom was with me and she said that she knew as soon as he started talking that the news wasn't good. But in my mind, I was in so much denial that even when he was talking, I was smiling and nodding. And then he said, you know, it turns out it is cancer. And I started shaking and I couldn't stop shaking. Um, but my surgeon was very, very kind. And he said, I'll come back tomorrow, you know, digest this news a little bit. And then we'll talk about treatment options. And by the next day, I was ready to talk about treatment. So, you know, we kind of met up the next day and talked about it. And I just decided to to move forward. And so the book is written starting with the initial incident. And then it goes through my first round of chemo and my radiation. So it ends after that. Okay. Oh, sure. So when, how long was it from the moment you were diagnosed to you actually had the surgery? Well, so I, you know, I was just told there was a mass on my brain and then that was on December 18th and I had the surgery on the 22nd. Oh, wow. So that happened very, very quickly. Very fast. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and so this, uh, when, so when were you diagnosed with this and, and how long have you um, been in recovery? So I was just diagnosed in 2017. So it's still, I'm still in treatment right now. So, so this literally happened less than a year ago. Is that Yes. Correct? And, and the book is done and uh, yeah, exactly. It happened very fast. Wow. So, I mean, um, that's, you're quite the, the prolific writer to, to complete an entire novel <laughs> in such a short period of time. Also with, you know, with what you're describing, the, the fact that you couldn't use your hands for right, right. a large part of this. That's amazing. Yep. Well, I keep making the joke. I've always wanted time, like a semester off to write. But mm -hmm. when you're not tenure track, you don't really have that option. And I said, well, this is my semester to write. And so I feel like I really took advantage of it. And just kind of, I mean, writing actually gave me a purpose. You know, the treatment was very hard and I had a lot of help, which was great. But um, it is a deadly disease, and so that's always in the back of my mind, too. And I thought this could be my last chance mm -hmm. to tell a story, you know, and yeah. so I just wanted to put it out there. Sure. So then let's talk about the – so this is um, – how are you getting this book published? Are, are you self-publishing, or are you going through a more traditional publisher on this one? So this time – you know, it took me a really – well, I guess not too long of a time, but I put a lot of thought into it and um, just – kind of asked myself, like, do I want to self-publish this again or do I want to try the more traditional route? And I thought, you know what, let's just see what happens if I submit it. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Submittable. It's um, a tool that writers and artists use. It makes everything really streamlined. Like you can go on there and search people looking for fiction and then it'll give you a list of all the publishers who are currently seeking fiction. So I did a search like that and submitted it to a few places and mm -hmm. A lovely lady named Lisa Kastner from Running Wild Press got back to me and said, we'd love to publish your book. And I was a little shocked because I, I just didn't think it was it's just really I mean, publishing's cutthroat. You know, you, it's very, very hard because everybody has something they want to publish. And so right. I was I was shocked and I was actually on a cruise when I found out, which was which was nice. And so I was having kind of the best week ever. I was on a cruise <laughs> and then I found out I'm getting my book published. So. That worked out nicely, but um, but Running Wild Press will do all of the the stuff that I didn't like that I had to do in self publishing. So they kind of 
you know, edit it, format it. And I worked very closely with my editor, Barbara Lockwood, on making sure the book was exactly where it needed to be. And now they're doing like all the formatting and the cover and all of those things that, you know, are, are really difficult, I think, for writers to, to do. So that's been nice. Oh, wonderful. Sure. Yeah. So um, how far along in your book were you when you submitted it to to submittable were you like had you already written most of it was it just the you know a a brief outline how far along were you yes it was completely finished when i submitted it but um of course you think that everything's perfect when you submit it but then of course (laughs) when i went back through with barbara we found all of these mistakes but it was in it was in good shape to submit it was finished it was complete yeah okay oh excellent and i submitted quite a few places but um Lisa was the first one to get back to me. And so then once submittable is so easy to use, once someone accepts your work, you can just withdraw it from the other places so you don't get any double acceptances or or anything like that. So that made it really easy. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Excellent. So with with the other writing that you're doing, so have you, because I know that you said you are, you are um, much more prolific in, in flash fiction. Right. Have you... Have you still been been writing flash fiction, you know, before and after this, um, you know, your diagnosis a year ago? Um, well, I stopped for a while, but I'm kind of like anyone who's artistic. I think it, it's just something inside of you that you kind of have to do. Your body just won't let you rest, you know. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, I'm not going to do anything else. That was my last big thing. But then, of course, I still have all of these ideas and you know, these lines that would fit into stories come into my head when I'm trying to fall asleep or when I'm in the shower or when I'm driving, you know, like, oh, I have to put that in a story or someone will say something that really strikes me as funny or odd. And I think, oh, I need to put, you know, I need to write that down and put it in a story someday. So I say that I'm kind of done, but I don't think that writers are ever done, even if they say they are. So mm-hmm. oh, sure. I'm sure I'll do more at some point. <laughs> sure. Did your writing change? Uh, from before and then after your diagnosis? Um, I don't really think it changed a whole lot, but of course, you know, I was so, I hit my groove with writing flash fiction and then, you know, I thought, oh, I want to write this longer work. And so really the longer work is little pieces of flash fiction is kind of how I see it that I combined. So, um, yeah, so I kind of, you know, stayed on the same track. It's just, they all connect and it's a longer work and just a bunch of little flash pieces tied sure. together oh yeah. great so in everything that you've done so far what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received oh the best advice i've ever received is writers make choices and that doesn't sound like much but it's something i tell my students and if you think about it it's absolutely true like i could have written the book so many different ways Mm-hmm. I left a lot of things out, you know, that I could have put in there, but you have to make the choice of what's going to work best for your novel, for your story, for whatever, for your class essay, whatever it is. So, yeah, writers make choices. I forget. I think a teacher told me that. I yeah. don't remember which one, but it really stuck with me through the years. Yeah. So that's interesting. So how do you make choices then in your writing? Is it something that's just like you go with your gut? Is there a mm-hmm. logical... Um, formulaic way that you make choices? Yeah, I would say, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I always, until I got my cancer diagnosis, I thought I was a really intuitive person. And so 
I do go with my gut, but I, I, the way I write is I just write everything out at first and then I'll go back and cut a lot of things out. And so sometimes, you know, you write something and you think, oh, that's really important or that's really good. And then you wait a couple of days and go back and read it later and think, oh, that doesn't fit in the story at all. I have to take that out. It doesn't make sense. Um, and my editor, Barbara, too, was really good about I, I tend to be repetitive sometimes or I was kind of telling the same story in the book more than once. And she would say, OK, we know this, you know, you got to cut this out. <laughs> it's really pretty the way you wrote it, but you got to get rid of it. So, yeah, that's always interesting. Oh, sure. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, Suzanne, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and tell me more about your your new book that's coming out. I really appreciate it. If the well, listeners, of course, listeners would like to buy your book, first off, where yes. is the best place they can do that? And The easiest, oh, sorry, I didn't oh, no, mean to interrupt either. No, no, we'll start with that one. Where is the best okay. place to buy your book first? The easiest place would be Amazon, but you can also, um, it's going to be in a lot of bookstores, but you can always also go in to any bookstore and ask them to order it if it's not there. But Amazon's probably the easiest place. Oh, sure. Oh, wonderful. So physical bookstores are like Barnes and Nobles type or, or independent bookstores? Um, mostly I'm shooting for independent bookstores. I kind of okay. believe in their mission. So but yeah, but if you go into any bookstore and ask them to order it, they will be able to. OK, excellent. And then if the listeners would like to read more of your writing or other samples of your writing or uh, get in touch with you, is what is where is the best place they can do for either of those? I mean, definitely, if you just Google my name, you'll see a lot of my flash fiction come up. And then I'm on Facebook and Instagram under Suzanne Samples. So it's kind of a, an odd name. So I should be pretty easy to find, I think. <laughs> you, you are. I, I did a little research yeah, ahead of time. I know time you did your research. <laughs> I did. And uh, you, you are pretty easy to find. So that's good to know. <laughs> Excellent. Well, again, Suzanne, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.